Win the battle of your musty, damp basement with an easy breathe ventilation system. Take charge of your indoor air. It's easy with basement ventilation to remove musty odors, pollutants, allergens, and airborne particles by 85%. An easy breathe ventilation system creates air exchanges for cleaner, fresher, healthy indoor air. And right now, get $250 off your own easy breathe ventilation system. Call 866-822-7328 or visit takechargeofyouair.com today. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the Long Island Bunker. Oh my fucking God. If you guys caught my live yesterday following the fucking bombshell testimony of Cassidy Hutchinson, I gotta tell you, my jaw was on the ground for the entire two hours. I, I mean, it's like, you know, a thing, right? Like we all knew that Donald Trump was a criminal. We all knew that Donald Trump was a tyrant. We all knew Donald Trump functioned as a mobster and doesn't write anything down and doesn't send emails and threatens people and doesn't pay people that he hires. And we know all of these things that he used his platform to throw other people under the bus as people were testifying before his impeachment, uh, committee hearing, He was threatening them on Twitter before he was kicked off after the insurrection. But to hear Cassidy Hutchinson tell us exactly the ways in which Donald Trump was functioning on the days that led up to the insurrection and the hours that the insurrection was happening and then what followed was jaw-dropping. This is not anything that you anticipated hearing about the president of these United States. So let's start off with the fact that the way that the committee began the hearing with a picture Uh, an inside look inside of the West wing of the white house. And I will tell you, um, as somebody who has had the good fortune of being able to go to the West wing of the white house, it is much smaller than it is actually being depicted pictorially. Right. And so when, and I want to, I want you all to understand that the reason why the committee did that is because one of the first things that Republicans would do as their retort would be to say, Oh, well, uh, Harpo, we don't know this woman who, who does man. Like we don't, we, we don't, we don't know her. She was in the room where it happens. Her office was right in between the Oval Office, Mark Meadows's office and the vice president's office. So for Donald Trump to use whatever bullshit, um, I don't know, male trim chimp fucking, uh, account that he's using to be able to send his thoughts over social media. 
he says, oh, I don't know who, who she is. Of course you do. Donald Trump, you know who every moderately attractive white, young white woman is because you are a fucking sexual predator. We know that a hundred percent. So there is no way that you are flying on Air Force One in your close, close quarters where there are tons of pictures with you, with her right? That you're going to say that you don't know who this person is, or they're going to try and diminish her title. And what she did, what Cassidy did was be able to articulate very clearly, not overstate, not understate. She chose her words very clearly, right? She knew the inner workings of this administration. She knew the inner workings of the Republican party because she had been on the Hill. Here's the thing that I will say as an aside that pisses me off is that everyone, the media wants to talk about, oh my God, she's only 25. She's only 25 folks. I worked on the Hill as well. Everybody that works on the Hill aside from the chief of staff is usually somebody that is in their twenties. Why? Cause the pay is really shit, but the access to power makes the setup for your career moving forward really fucking good if you're smart and strategic and know how to navigate. And so it is not shocking to hear that this young woman is working in the White House or is working on the Hill, because if you ever go to the Hill, you will know that a lot of the legislative aides, the staff assistants, and all of those people are in their 20s. Um, But let me tell you something. The things that stood out to me as we were taking this all in, just one bombshell at a motherfucking time, was, first of all, that Donald Trump and Mark Meadows and Cipollini and all of these people knew days before the insurrection even happened that it was going to be dangerous, that they received, right, from uh, from the Capitol Police information and intel that the people that were coming to Washington, D.C. to this quote-unquote Stop the Steal rally were coming to cause harm. That was a part of the plan. They were the architects and that was a strategy that was plan B for the Trump administration, right? It was to cause as much harm as possible. They knew that these people were violent. The other thing that we learned is that Donald Trump knew that the people that were standing before him on the ellipses, which he wanted to make sure looked full because he wanted it to be as full, I'm certain, as his inauguration day, um, is (laughs) that he was told that the people that were not going through the metal detectors were armed with AR-15s, knives, guns, brass knuckles, handcuffs. I mean, these people were coming to go to war because their president told them to go take back their country by any means fucking necessary. And they were prepared with the equipment to do so. And Donald Trump knew it. And knowing that when Liz Cheney said, let's roll the fucking tape of Donald Trump, then telling them to go march to the Capitol, knowing that these people are armed and violent and hyped up on his stop the steal fucking chance, he sent them to go attack his vice president, to go attack the members of Congress. And then was he going to hop in the beast and head to the Capitol himself? If not for his attorney, Cipollini, that's like, no, 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 because This is going to be obstruction of justice. You can't go there. Donald Trump gets in the beast and says, I'm the president of the fucking United States. Take me to the fucking Capitol. Secret Service says no. Donald Trump grabs the wheel. Then he grabs the clavicle of the Secret Service member. Bitch, that is assault. You have Rudy Giuliani right now talking about a slap on the back is simple assault. Well, what the fuck would you call what Donald Trump did to his Secret Service member in the car? Then... 
When he does not get his way, and we know, we knew from E. Jean Carroll, when she told us, when she told Donald Trump no, and he sexually assaulted her in a department store. We know that this white, privileged, cis, hetero man does not take no for a fucking answer, right? He gets back to the White House, throws his lunch at the wall like a fucking tyrannical toddler, catch up running down the walls of the White House. If that image does not con- just, just not conjure the trash and the destruction that this administration did to our democracy. It is just the perfect, as my friend Wajahat said, an exquisite image of the Trump administration is that fast food crap sliding down the wall of our White House. I got to tell you that then when asked by Liz Cheney, Ms. Hutchinson, is this the first time that Donald Trump would uh, react in such a manner in the White House? Oh, no, 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 it's not. Donald Trump was known for flipping tablecloths and throwing shit all over the ground when he did not get his way or when he did not like something, right? So the 20 some odd women that accused Donald Trump of sexual assault and harassment, maybe we want to believe them now? Hmm? I got to tell you that, I mean, it is incredible. It is breathtaking that none of these people are in jail, that none of these people have been indicted. I keep asking, where the fuck is Merrick Garland? Did that motherfucker get off the plane from the Ukraine? Is he still there, right? Defending their democracy while ours crumbles because he believes in the institution? Well, let me tell you something, Merrick. There won't be much of an institution left if Donald Trump is able to run for president again because you're taking your sweet fucking time over 17 months and you haven't put together a motherfucking case yet? Give me a break. There is more than enough information, more than enough evidence to be able to indict every single one of these people. And now we know that Mark Meadows, along with Rudy Giuliani and others, asked for a fucking pardon. Oh, my God. The other breathtaking part? Oh, I don't know. Mike Flynn, the convicted fucking felon, who then, when asked by Liz Cheney in his deposition, do you believe, general, in the peaceful transfer of power, he pled the fifth. What? kind of banana republic totalitarian totalitarian bullshit is this these people are wild this testimony was wild and it was wild because it was so level headed what she offered was like this is what was said this is what i heard i was in the room where it happened i mean i, I got to tell you that at this point in time if donald trump Mark Meadows, Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, Cipollone, if all of these people are not indicted, right, are not charged with crimes against this country, with obstruction of justice, with fucking treason, right? Like if they are not charged, then I am going to be convinced that the Department of Justice is in cahoots with the Trump administration in the attempt to overthrow our government, because there is just no other explanation for their inaction at this time, except for the fact that I say all of the time, white men in power do not take down other white men in power, right? That is not what the system was built for. The system was built to protect white men and their property from everyone else, right? Oh my God, folks, I, I, I got to tell you, if you did not watch 
uh, my live yesterday. It is up on my Instagram page. If you're not uh, following me, head over there at D2Cents. It's the same that it is on Twitter, D-E-E-T-W-O-C-E-N-T-S. Uh, also, I posted a series of TikToks. Uh, and over at TikTok, I am Danielle Moody underscore. Um, and I'm popping all the way off over there. So be sure to check me out there. Coming up next, our good, good in-house doctor, Dr. Jonathan Metzl, is back from his trip to Europe. And he has some very eye-opening things that he was asked that he learned uh, on his trip away that he is going to bring us up to speed on. And that conversation is coming up next. The Damage Report with John Idarola is one of the most popular shows on the TYT network that serves as your daily breakdown of the genuine threats and challenges facing our country and world. These days, we're confronted with an overwhelming sea of shocking, confounding, and devastating news stories. The Damage Report is your life raft, helping you navigate the day's news and understand the damage caused by the corrupt establishment, politicians, corporations, and everything in between. Join the Damage Report's notorious fan club, The Dragon Squad, where you become part of a fantastic community of progressives. Create a fun dragon nickname that fits your personality, collaborate, and participate in fun activities like voting for, the garbage person of the week, and much more. Listen to The Damage Report on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Get a behind-the-scenes look at Comedy Central's The Daily Show on Beyond the Scenes, an original podcast from The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Every week, host Roy Wood Jr. goes deeper with the notable guests and experts from the Emmy Award-winning series. Together, they use comedy to tackle current topics from gentrification to gun laws and take a closer look at how and why these topics matter. Listen to Beyond the Scenes from The Daily Show with Trevor Noah on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Tuesday. Folks, I am so excited to welcome back to Woke AF after his time away in Europe, um, talking about the fall of America's democracy. Uh, our good friend, our in-house doctor, Dr. Jonathan Metzl. Uh, Jonathan, you've decided to return to the United States. I think that that was a silly idea, but um, tell us about your trip. What was, how was the talk? What did you do? Remind us of where you were um, and why you were there. Well, I, I went to Sweden. I was in three different towns in Sweden giving lectures uh, at different universities around Sweden. And Sweden's a pretty interesting place uh, because everybody speaks English. And the reason they speak English is because they, they used to, they were telling me they used to all speak German. Um, but then after, after World War II, they were like, man, Germany is, is a sinking ship, ethically problematic. So we're going to tie our ship to the, not just the, you know, the currency of what it means, what you get out of speaking English in this world, a lot of resonance between Scandinavia and the United States, a lot of political resonance. So the thing is, we've looked to you guys as a kind of beacon and we, <laughs> our professional conversations are in English and it's got, it's been great for us so far. And now, like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> what are you doing? And should we be, you know, should we be rethinking our alliances? Now, of course, it's important because Sweden is also thinking about joining uh, NATO now. 
And so there are alliances, military alliances that we're forming with people in Sweden. But I just think culturally, there's kind of this moment. I mean, Sweden's a place with relatively universal health care. It's got a kind of interesting, complicated history of race, which is what I was talking about there. Um, But, uh, but, but, but in general, they kind of look to the U.S. as as a beacon, mm-hmm. and but it, but it's a very liberal, relatively liberal society in terms of people pay high tax. Actually, they actually pay not as high tax as I thought. They pay high tax, but we actually pay high tax also. It turns out, but for for their tax, like I'll give you an example. I spoke at this beautiful university, Lund University in Sweden, mm-hmm. one of the top universities. And it's free. <laughs> Nobody pays tuition. Um, wait, wait, so, I'm uh, sorry. I'm sorry. Start again because, <laughs> you know, you broke up in my ear when I heard the word. It was a beautiful university and it was free for everybody. I mean, it's very competitive to get in, but everybody sees the national university as like the crowning jewel, creating smart, intelligent people for their country. And people won't, don't pay tuition. <gasps> they want and so, smart and intelligent people in the country? I mean, it's crazy. What? And they're well-trained and all these things. Now, you know, there are trade-offs. They don't have the freedom and the liberty. Like I, I tried to bring my AR-15 and they wouldn't let me do it. Oh. Um, and, uh, and, and all these kind of things. And they're very kind of wary about religion. So when I tried to kneel down at the 50-yard line, they wouldn't they – they, it just looked look funny interesting. at me. Interesting. Okay. But the thing is – there were great roads. There was relatively good healthcare. The infrastructure felt like it was working. And I'll tell you the craziest thing about Sweden. Aside from the fact that the fact that they pay less taxes than we do, keep going. <laughs> um, like you go to a traffic light, and like there's no cars anywhere nearby in these towns where I was, and there's no cars. And like I'm from New York, I'm just like I'm just gonna walk our street. But everybody looks at you like, and I mean like. It's like old grannies, but also like tatted people with mohawks and nose rings and stuff. They're all waiting at the red light for the light to turn green so they can cross the road. And I'm just like, what's going on here? Like, yeah, we kind of believe in society. We're all kind of playing by the same rules and stuff like that. And and I'm just what like, this is- What planet is this country I, on? I know, it can't be Earth. <laughs> It was mind blowing. And I'm just like, oh yeah, when you imagine that you're part of a civil society- Actually, the part of the idea is like, even if the rules don't totally make sense, like literally there were no cars coming, but everybody's like, well, you know, we just, we just all play by the rules. And when I went to Denmark, another place that's, you know, got its own complicated history, there's a complicated histories of colonialism, of mm-hmm. racism in all these countries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to br- brush that over, but it was just weird. I, again, it just makes you realize like the level of just what's the word um like things have just crumbled not just in our infrastructure but how we think about our relationship to one another and you kind of don't see it until you go to another place and when i was in copenhagen everybody and their grandmother bikes like everybody bikes there because gas is expensive because it's faster and quicker but also because they have amazing bike lanes all over the city that are not part of the road they're raised up they're separate. They're, it's actually terrifying because you realize, oh shit, this is not the sidewalk. Um, but but it's like separate bike lanes that go one direction that are raised up, so you can't actually drive onto them unless you really are trying. But nobody does. And really, the bike logic is 
is kind of how people engage. And another similar thing happened. Like I was supposed to go left in an intersection. I'm on these bike lanes, which I'm thinking these are, again, great bike lanes. But then I'm like, I'm from New York. I'm just going to take a left turn at the intersection because that's what I do. So I went out into traffic. I turned left because there were no cars coming. Within two seconds, a police car pulled me over <coughs> and they were like, you just turned left, not using the bike lane. You turned left in the street. And I said, uh, <coughs> you know, what do you mean? And he's like, yeah, you have to use the bike lane. But they were so nice about it. And they're like, just here, we don't do that. We all play by the rules. And by the end, I'm like, oh, I can see that. You know, I can see that. I was actually really grateful. I'm like, in New York, nobody gives two hoots if I drive in traffic. <laughs> no, they're just they like, if you get run, if you get run if you over, get run over it's, your, it's your If you get run over, will. don't, block, tra don't <laughs> right. block traffic for too long. But they're like, they have police who are making sure people follow the bike rules. Like, it's, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. So, Jonathan, you know, what... What were because it's just it's just amazing. I, I don't think I haven't been to Europe since 2018. Uh, no, since yeah, since 2018. Um, and I, I want to know what were some of the questions that were being asked? You you know, you were there to give lectures um, on, you know, on gun violence, on the rise of fascism and, uh, and white supremacy that is happening in both the United States and around different countries in Europe. And so what were some of the questions that people were asking? Because while you were there, there was a lot that was unfolding in the United States. Oh, well, one thing, of course, is no one in the world can. Um, and let me just say one thing before that, actually, because what I was thinking when I was just telling you this is like, that's everybody's fear, like, oh, my God, big brother or you know, whatever, but I have to say there was something nice about everybody kind of following the same rules. I can't believe I'm the person who's saying this, but actually it kind of like lowered the anxiety a little bit as far as mm -hmm. I could tell. I mean, I'm no expert. I was away for two weeks, but I was interacting with an awful lot of people and I was giving lectures that were, where we were talking about this stuff. Like I was giving quite well attended, like packed house kind of lectures and they were like, oh, we're such rule followers that they were apologizing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm from the U.S. I'm not a rule follower. But I also thought, you know, um, I don't know. And I don't, and I don't want to follow like crappy rules. Like I have to, you know, take a knee at the 50-yard line and stuff like that. I'm not doing that. Um, but but it was something nice about, I don't know, I, I what, what do you call it? socialist democracy kind of thing like i don't know kind of everyone having respect for one another and acting in a civilized society like they care but but also like i guess they could see the benefit of i mean there were a lot of people who complained like oh i hate paying tax of course that's always going to be the case but you could kind of see the benefit of paying tax like all the street lights mm -hmm. worked and the roads were nice relatively and there was public transportation like literally everywhere you went and there were schools and healthcare wasn't in anywhere near the urgent, like sky is falling kind of thing. So I don't know. I, I felt kind of nice actually. So, so now understanding that <coughs> oh, let, me, let me say yeah. with your, with your question though, they can't understand how any city and how any country in the world could have a zillion guns on the street. So 
the the gun stuff is such a level of insanity. They're like, you're not at war with each other. What the hell are you doing? And so, the the gun thing by far was the hardest thing to understand. So how do you explain it? Well, that was what my talks were about. Yeah, I know. So how? So how did? I told I explained the racial history of the United States and 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 gun pharmaceutical and gun company advertising and the ways that guns are used in the service of an ideology that claims to be taking over democracy for people and foments its own form of racial resentment. But it's just the irony was it was the polar opposite of the ideology of communalism that exists in, in other parts of the world. So I don't know. Those were my talks. And they were like, at the end of the talks, they'd be like, thank you so much. It's so helpful to understand that. And we're going to start talking German again, <laughs> you know, like it was just, it was, it, it was interesting. Do you feel, I mean, in, in, in the time that you were gone and again, you were, you were away for two weeks. Do you feel, and, and you're, you were away and, and now the president, you know, was, uh, attending the G7, right. And we have all of the leaders of the G7 absolutely astonished and horrified, um, about from Macron to Trudeau to, you know, to Johnson saying, my God, I cannot believe that you took away uh, abortion access. Do you feel like in the time that you were there that the sentiments around the United States um, are, are falling? That, that, oh, that, that, that as the United States, you know, I, I, I was watching as Joe Biden is standing, you know, and, and, and is at the podium and all of the other leaders, you know, are, are flanking him on either side as, as has always been the case. And I'm saying, why are you all letting him speak? Like in my, in my own mind, like what, what is, what is Joe Biden, president Biden offering to the world? And so what were some of the things that you were feeling or hearing from people about their feelings towards the United States and where we are, as opposed to where we were pre-Trump. Well, I mean, understand that when in Scandinavia, it's very close to Russia, and so <coughs> leading. I mean, there was a lot of debate about yes or no on NATO. Honestly, these countries with long histories of not joining or neutrality, quote unquote, for better or worse. But I would say the United States has shown leadership in the Ukraine crisis, and I don't think that was lost on a lot of people. So it's not like our internal politics, our, our foreign policy has been very solid. But I would say that I just think that you have to leave this country to just see the everyday effects of the failing moral leadership that mm. we have. It's really almost hard to quantify. It's not about rulers. It's never going to make it to a newscast. But people have looked up to the United States to be a beacon of free thought and free speech and creative ideas and innovation. And even if you like go to the design museum in Copenhagen, like it's kind of like there's Scandinavian design and man, did they make some awesome chairs, but then there's like all this cool stuff that was happening like in New York and Alabama and blah, 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 that inspired us to create like jazz chairs and stuff like that. Like the expression of our ideals has led to a kind of moral leadership that's not quantified by just the basic things of politicians. And it's really sad to see us losing that um, in a way that these kind of divisions and divisions about thought, about suppression of syllabi, about 
one particular religion, which is the religion I grew up surrounded by in Missouri, like all of a sudden coming to dominate in all these ways, like it's just, it's so bad for us ethically and morally internally, but you kind of see it in an almost more depressing way <laughs> when you go somewhere else. And so it was a kind of sad feeling of like, we rescued the world from and in the aftermath of World War II. And, and I feel like all that order, all the Marshall Plan era goodwill that we built up is now flipping itself. Jonathan, what is the, like, I, I want you to be able to explain to people what, like, what, <laughs> the failure of America right now, what that is going to mean for the rest of the world. Because it isn't just about the moral leadership, which I, I thank you so much for saying, because I don't think that that is something that you can quantify, that other people's democracies were built out of America's democracy. And so with us having, creating this moral leadership vacuum, what happens to the rest of the world in your, in your opinion, if it was America that again, is no longer this beacon to look up to because we are regressing in every which way possible? It's it's a it's a global movement, uh, and so partially all of these countries also have right wing movements that have been squelched for for a long time or haven't risen to power. And so it's really what we're doing is we're opening the door for a right wing ascendance. I think is kind of part of the concern. It's uh, um, I can you know there's a lot of anti immigrant movements across Europe and Scandinavia. There's a history of militarization, which has not been the case really in the aftermath of World War II because the United States was, you know, the protector in a certain kind of way. And I think when we take all of that away, there's some bad elements there. Um, certainly in the Middle East, we're seeing the potential return of Netanyahu, for example, um, and the collapse of the Israeli government, which say what you will about Israeli politics, there are a lot of solid liberal people there who are fighting for different kinds of justice across Israeli-Palestinian coalitions and other things. And I think you could see the return. You know, I just think that religious kind of right-wing stuff is partially – we're at risk of having the world turn to the right in, in a lot of other areas as well. So it's not just like they're going to move past us. It's also like we're a beacon potentially for threats to liberal democracy in other places. That's my concern right now. And I mean, I read, I read newspapers from across the world, but I am concerned reading the Israeli papers right now about, I mean, this is their third, they're headed into their, their third election in, yeah. in like in five, in Seven less days, than, yeah. in like less than five years. Um, and, and we have seen time and time again, the, the coalitions that they put together collapse, which now has made room for Netanyahu to make his return to your point. And we know exactly what Netanyahu's game is about. And so what do you think as, as you were abroad, how, how is this? It, it's almost like, I don't know. I, I feel like we're in a horror movie where all of the the Avengers, instead of them being good, it's all of the bad super, you know, super villains forming a new alliance. And so what does that mean for the world, for the future of the of the new world order? You know, I think it's something to be worried about. I mean, remember, 
like the playbook is right-wing ideologies make partnerships with with right-wing religious uh, ideologies kind of suppressing suppressing that with often demographic white majority um politics and and um and so i think there's going to be a lot of free will that's at risk across, across the globe in a way i mean the counter message isn't just look what a bunch of fucktards america is it's kind of like look at the meth look at what happened in america and we can do that playbook here also that playbook if it playbook works in america it can work in a bunch of other places and so i just think i guess it's a very 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 dangerous moment and i think the fact that this is happening in the u.s and for us like honestly i mean we we probably will talk about it next week probably um but the this is just the beginning i mean the the gun ruling from the supreme court was about as catastrophic a ruling i don't think people fully grasp just how catastrophic oh i grasped it was. Mm -hmm. because we'd been talking about we'd been talking about it for months and you told us that it was coming and i'll tell you jonathan that as soon as that ruling came down um I had several friends who, like myself, have always been anti-gun and have believed that people should not own weapons of war, text me and say that they are going to um, the, the firing range, that they want to get licensed. That if everyone is now going to be armed to the uh, armed to, you know, uh, 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 armed to the to the hills, then like. How are we all going to be sitting around singing Kumbaya and, and trying to keep peace when every, when there's an AR-15 in your face? And the other important part that people should know about this, and we should talk about this like mm-hmm. full on next week, is it, it didn't just overturn gun laws like the ones in New York, which is bad enough in and of itself. It also um, basically eviscerated the ability to do anything about it. The ruling basically said – that if the, if any gun law needs to be true to the way we thought about guns in 1791 to 1856 or something like when basically when the second and 14th amendments were ratified um and so that basically if you can't show some kind of historical connection your gun law is unconstitutional now why is that important well the senate just to great fanfare passed this bipartisan gun law and that doesn't there, do example, a damn thing. But not only that, um, it has red flag laws, right? That's a big part of it. But there were no red flag laws in 1791. It also has domestic violence protection. There was no domestic violence protection in the Constitution. That wasn't even a concept. People just did it. And so the gun law itself is probably going to be unconstitutional and get ready for gun laws across the country to fall for that reason, that basically... <clears throat> There's no historical precedent. And so I just think the issue is, I just think there's the immediate effect of this, but also the way these cases have been argued makes the bar impossible to really do anything about it in a way. So we're going to be fighting this fight for a while. I mean, I hope people are, hope people are <laughs> get taking some snacks to the front line here because it, it's, it, this is intense. This is intense and it's going to get pretty, even more real. Well, Jonathan, we are happy that you have returned to us safely on Woke AF, um, and we will continue this conversation uh, as everything continues to unravel. 
uh, and crumble in this country and the effects that it has around the globe. As always, we appreciate you. Take care, everybody. Hey there. I want to tell you about another podcast I think you'll love. The Brown Girl's Guide to Politics, hosted by Ashanti Goler, the president of Emerge. BGG is the one-stop shop for women of color who want to hear and talk about the world of politics. Join Ashanti this season as she talks to incredible women of color who are changing the face of politics and tackling some of the most important issues facing the United States, from reproductive justice to voting rights to climate change and more. Tune in every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts. That is it for me today, dear friends on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Get a behind-the-scenes look at Comedy Central's The Daily Show on Beyond the Scenes, an original podcast from The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Every week, host Roy Wood Jr. goes deeper with the notable guests and experts from the Emmy Award-winning series. Together, they use comedy to tackle current topics from gentrification to gun laws and take a closer look at how and why these topics matter. Listen to Beyond the Scenes from The Daily Show with Trevor Noah on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Tuesday. Win the battle of your musty, damp basement with an Easy Breathe ventilation system. Take charge of your indoor air. It's easy with basement ventilation to remove musty odors, pollutants, allergens, and airborne particles by 85%. An Easy Breathe ventilation system creates air exchanges for cleaner, fresher, healthy indoor air. And right now, get $250 off your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. Call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com today. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless.